K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s continues. You've heard Turn the Beat Around by Vicky Sue Robinson, Heaven on the Seventh Floor, La Freak by Sheik, Fly Robin Fly by The Silver Connection, and now number five, K-B-I-L-L-Y. Hello, baby! Yeah, this is the Big Bopper speaking. <laughs> oh, you sweet thing. Do I want... Will I want? Oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a And welcome to our second episode of K Billy Super Sounds. It is our look at the uh, the filmography of one Quentin Tarantino. Uh, in chronological order, not just the movies that he directed, but as we're going to talk about today, the movies that he has uh, worked on as a screenwriter and other other possible roles. Uh, I am Chris Trenisman, and I am joined by Mr. Brian Salazar. Hello. And the, the Hello. one true professional in the group, uh, Mr. Will Pfeiffer. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. The only one here with any actual qualifications. That's right. A long time ago in another life, I was a paid movie critic, believe it or not. But the best I thing know. was I got all the free DVDs. I got I'm, this DVD for free, in fact. I remember. My, fa- my, my extended family in uh, Rockford, Illinois. That's uh, right. Knows, knows of you, of the legend of Will Pfeiffer. I would, I would tell them that I would meet any, you know, comic book you know, pseudo comic book celebrity, and they'd be like, oh, "Okay, that's neat." And I was like, "Oh yeah, Will Piper's a friend of, of mine." And they're like, "What? That guy? Will Piper? <laughs> He's amazing." So he hated Patch Adams. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you were one of those people. I was one of those people, oh. and I got into plenty of arguments with people about it too. <laughs> no hearts, just. No. <laughs> so we are uh, we are here. This is our second episode. We're doing this about monthly, and uh, of course the the first episode was about the the first Tarantino uh, release, which was Reservoir Dogs, which came out in 1992. This is, I guess, his first uh, his first screenwriting job, but uh, this movie, which we're talking about today, is True Romance. It was released the following year, 1993. It, uh, as I mentioned, was written by Quentin Tarantino and apparently uncredited uh, co-writing with Roger Avery and directed by Tony Scott, and it stars um, Hollywood. Yes, it <laughs> certainly does, doesn't it? Quite a cast. Quite it a is. Cast. It's kind of like maybe one of the most amazing casts, whenever you look at it, of mix of, of older stars and younger stars at the time. It is, it's impressive. Yeah, stars who hadn't really become stars yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt playing, you know, stoner roommate. Uh, Floyd. <laughs> Floyd. Are you hey, before we before we dig too deep into this, I just wanted to bring up a uh, a little uh note from Reservoir Dogs. My wife had informed me about something about Reservoir Dogs that I did not know and uh I promised her that I would bring it up on the podcast. So evidently, the singer Pink 
You guys know the singer? I'm aware. One of my wife's favorite singers. She named herself Pink after Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi's character from Really? I'd never heard that before. I did not either. I had not heard that. So I I told my wife, well, I will make sure to to mention that on the next one. So That's very interesting. Little trivia. little more. She's owning it because she just complained about it in the movie. That's right. Well, she's owning it. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, True Romance. Uh, and you guys probably should elaborate on it way more than I do. But the way I understand it, this was the script that Tarantino sold uh, for Tony Scott to, to direct. And that is that what he was paid for this script is what gave him the capital to uh, write and direct uh, Reservoir Dogs, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Kind of. Ish. That's kind of the story. That, well, it's a little complicated. Originally, this w- started out, him and Roger Avery had written a 500-page script <laughs> uh, that was essentially, it was True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Okay. Um, uh, okay. As it went on, he eventually broke it into two, and he, he had Natural Born Killers and he had Reservoir Dogs, both scripts. Tony Scott wanted to direct Reservoir Dogs. Um, and Tarantino said, no, I don't think that's what I want. I want that to be my first mm-hmm. film. He had already kind of knew that that's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But you can have True Romance. So true, Tony Scott went on and did that. The idea was with Tarantino, he was going to take the money from that. And and I don't know the exact term. I've heard it's, it was somewhere between $10,000 and $30,000 what he got paid for true romance for the script, I heard twenty. So, so yeah, somewhere in that area, who knows? Um, but he, w- his thoughts were, I'm going to take this, I'm going to go then make Reservoir Dogs on my own with this money. Um, but he had gotten the notice of some people by that time, um, and uh, I can't remember exactly who it was. Someone who had the script, um. Uh, was talking with Quentin about it, and at some point it came out that he had basically written the role of Mr. White for Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy was like, well, as a matter of fact, my wife's sister or something somewhere along the line knows Harvey Keitel. Would you like me to see if he'd be interested in looking mm-hmm. at the script? Yes, of course. Please. So he got the script. Kaitel loved it. And then it became a thing of like, I want to do it, but let's do it. Let's get studio money. Mm -hmm. And with Kaitel involved at that point, he really helped him then get the studio money to make it. But originally he was. What you're telling me is that Tarantino could have just stuck to his guns and eventually done true romance. And not had to worry about selling it. Oh yeah, if he wanted to, yeah, he could have. He could have mm-hmm. kept uh, true. I don't know if that was something he necessarily wanted to do or not, but yeah, he could have. Um, sure, I mean, he wrote it to sell it. I think didn't he was hoping. Yeah, I think initially he had written that to sell it, and I think he he wrote Natural Born Killers to sell it. I, I don't think those were movies that he intentionally was thinking about making himself. Reservoir Dogs was the film he was. Mm-hmm. That was the one that yeah. he was thinking. This is going to be my debut film. Yeah. This is what so was his baby. 
And that's, yeah. you know, when you look at just the setup and, I mean, that's obviously, you could do that movie for the cheapest. It's essentially right. one set, maybe a it's couple a, other right. sets. But it's, one, a sta- it's a stage know. play. We yeah. talked about that last mm-hmm. month. It's it's basically a stage play. It can be done as a stage play. Uh, yeah. This this movie has a lot more bullets. Yes. Much, much bigger body count. Um, and it goes but, from Detroit to oh, L.A. To LA <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, and a huge cast in, in comparison um, it, it, I mean, it is a Taron. I was talking to a friend today about it uh, that told him that we were going to be doing this, and and he said, "What do you think of it?" It's like, "Oh, I've, I've seen it several times, but never watched it as a Tarantino film, uh, which is kind of what we're doing." And it is a Tarantino film that is directed by Tony Scott, and it really, agree. it really shows you the, the, the. And, and influence that a director has on a movie because I would love as an experiment to you know just go back in time and see Tarantino would have done with this script if he had been the director I think it's a it's a, a different but similar movie at that point mm-hmm. I would agree well I think um, I mean you know I don't I don't think it's that far off. I mean, obviously, it has Tony. It has some Tony Scott elements. The the, mm-hmm. the end of the movie is the biggest change yep. from what Tarantino had written. But I think a lot of it, almost all of it, is the script. And and yeah, obviously, Tony Scott is going to have a lot of say in how it ultimately it comes out. But the heartbeat of the movie is is going to be those characters and their interactions yeah. and. The rest of it is st- sort of style choices, you know. Yeah, that's it, exactly it. Tarantino just shoots action scenes different. There's the scene where yeah. uh, Gandolfini is just beating the ever living shit out of Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. and like the music choice in that is like a it's almost like a 1980s action movie soundtrack in the Very background. Very much, yeah. It's yeah, a Tony it's, Scott action scene, you know. It's, it's a Tony Scott action movie, yeah. But then he'll blend in like operatic pieces in those moments of you know that kind of thing for drama and and uh one of the interesting songs that i didn't realize until i started doing research is the the sort of melodic that song um is from badlands That's, oh really? Yeah, that is the theme song from the movie God, Badlands. It's been so long since I've seen Badlands. It, I watched it again in preparation for this, and I was like, "Oh, that's." I mean, that is the opening song for this movie. It plays throughout the film here and there, and it, it's the exact same thing in Badlands, the movie with uh, Martin Sheen and mm-hmm. uh, Sissy Spacek. Uh, Spacek, who a played, movie about two young criminals on killer. the run. Yeah. yeah. Criminals on the Run that it's it based off the Charles Starkweather killing right. and mm-hmm. yeah, but I I just was like oh wow that I didn't so that was interesting that you know everyone always talks about it uh, Tarantino taking things from other films and it's like mm-hmm. that and the whole Alabama narration of parts of the film mm-hmm. yeah straight out of Badlands yeah, that's, yeah that's, you're right Sissy Spacek narrates it yeah Sissy yeah. Spacek's narration. And sort of her innocent, naive mm-hmm. telling of this fantasy that they're on, this adventure that they're on, 
when in truth it's you know Martin Sheen's a cold-blooded killer yeah. and kill, killing he's a free old girl mm-hmm. <laughs> but to her it's this wild adventure yeah. it's, this, it's this fantasy adventure and and between that song which is a like an i think it's an italian opera piece or something i don't remember it's called like musica poetica mm-hmm. um but uh between that and like the narration it's like oh that's that is right out of badlands that is stripped I mean, identically out of Badlands, which I thought yeah. was very interesting, and, and it's like, yeah, this is this is that kind of a movie. It is a it is a killing spree of these two young, you know, <clears throat> love but deranged sort of people, and and you know, Tarantino wrote it very differently, where in the end they, you know, Clarence dies, right, yeah, and Tony Scott changed that, and that's one of the things Tarantino sort of is upset about. But um, to because to him, I think it's it's interesting. I had this conversation with. A friend of mine who had never seen the movie before, and um, she, she was talking about how oh, it was sort of a a sweet ending. It's this sweet sort of mm-hmm. ending to this love story. It's like, yeah, but did they deserve that? Did they deserve yeah. a happy ending? I mean, a there, lot of people die in this. A movie. lot of people died. Well, and and I mean, Christopher Walken is not um, wrong whenever he is torturing. <laughs> he's torturing torturing. Or Dennis Hopper, and, and he's like, your son is a moron. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Clarence yeah. is a fucking moron repeatedly yeah. in this movie. He stumbles into so many situations that he has no business being in, and then he survives them when most of the other people in the situation don't survive them. And then... yeah. Yeah. Now, one question about, and I, I can't remember if I looked this up years ago or not, but now, was this because this, this and Natural Born Killers were kind of the, that giant 500-page yeah. epic. So is was this Mickey and Mallory, or were they different characters? Or uh, No, it would have been Mickey. Yeah, it would have been Clarence and Alabama. Would have uh, gone on to be Woody Harrelson and what, Juliet Lewis? Juliet Lewis. Yeah. Basically, from what I remember reading about it, the way that it would have gone is basically um, – Natural Born Killers would have been the, the beginning of it until they okay. get prison riot. Right. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it would have basically been true romance. True romance. Them on the they run. escape and then. Exactly. They escape and then they're on the run and they're, you know, they're, they're on this sort of love, bizarre love I, thing. I you haven't know? watched that movie since it came out. That's going to be an interesting. That's going to be a this. very interesting watch because. Well, it's, that's a movie of its time, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy that movie, but that, that's one that that Tarantino has disavowed. Yeah, he really hates it, and I wonder. And we can talk about this when we watch it, but I wonder if one reason he hates it is I'm sure Oliver Stone changed everything. Everything, about it. <laughs> but also, I mean, Tony Scott definitely has a directorial style, but mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a guy with a strong thumbprint is Oliver Stone. So to have your script oh, yeah. become an Oliver Stone movie, I wonder if he really. You know, didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's and, and we talked about like we talked about Reservoir Dogs last month and how that movie really kind of changed the game and how like the the two thousands moving you know the two thousands action movies were so influenced by Reservoir Dogs. This movie is such a capsule of like nineteen eighties movies that were inspired by like Die Hard, right? It, I, I would agree to it. I would agree visually, maybe. Visually. But visually. see, to me, um, I see this as, because, I mean, remember after Reservoir Dogs, to a certain extent, but really after Pulp Fiction, there were a million Tarantino-inspired movies. 
some good, pleasure. some bad, mm-hmm. whatever. But, you know, you had killers talking about pop culture and comedy mixed with horrible violence and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. To me, this movie feels like a Tarantino, I'm not going to say a ripoff, but a Tarantino knockoff, maybe. Like, it's sort of the <laughs> official Tarantino knockoff. And I guess I I should say this right now. I saw this movie in the theater. I've seen it several times since then, but not for years. And I just watched it last week. I was disappointed, guys. I was not. There are parts of it I like very much. But overall, I was kind of like, I don't know. It's not what I remembered it as. It's not how I remembered it. And I talked to my wife. And she was like, well, which one are you guys doing this month? And I told her True Romance. And she just kind of grimaced. And I was like, what? She's like... Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to watch that one again because I liked it so much at the time and I don't know if it would live up to my memories. To me, and and one thing, um, the thing that struck me most, and then we can get into the plot or whatever, but um, especially in regard to Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and especially movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and um, Django and Inglourious Bastards and that, all those movies are about, like, adults, you know what I mean? And sometimes, and obviously this happens as Tarantino gets older, but sometimes they're about people looking sort of back on their lives, especially once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, and they're kind of, they're, mm-hmm. their best years are behind them. And to me, this movie felt like a movie about kids. The two lead characters are kind of, they're in their 20s, but they kind of act like little kids throughout. And I think yeah. a lot of it is like, look how cool Clarence is. Like, look, he's in the Sonny Chiba movies and he goes to this pimp's house and talks to him like a badass, and, you know, and they drive this crazy Cadillac and, and I just, I would bet if, if Quentin was handed this script now, he would make a very different movie than, than this movie. Well, he, he said that Clarence was his most autobiographical character. Clearly, and clearly. It, it, it feels like Quentin. I mean, yeah, that, that Sonny Chiba stuff nerd. is, <laughs> yeah, comic book nerd and well, his, he, he he mentions at one point uh, the owner of the comic book store. His name is Larry, I think, mm-hmm. and that was the name of the guy who owned Video Archives. Oh, okay, well that makes I sense. Mean, that's the store yeah. he worked in. That's yeah, going to see a triple feature. Sunny, rip, rest in peace. By the way, yes. By the way, rest we should peace, mention. And this is uh, the first place I ever heard about Sunny Chiba. I will say. Oh, that. really? Because okay. back then, I was getting into, I mean, remember the early 90s? That's when you first heard about, like, Jackie Chan and Chow Yun-Fat and John mm-hmm. Woo and all those guys. Sure. So I was into them, but I'd never heard of Sonny Chiba. And I honestly thought at the beginning it was somebody Quentin had, like, made up to, like, stand <laughs> in for those. Of course I was wrong, and I've since sure. seen, like, you know, Street Fighter. Those movies are amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, poor one out for Sonny Chiba. Well, I was I a huge martial arts fan mm-hmm. in the 80s. And uh, yeah, so I, I had watched a lot of of Sonny Chiba stuff when it came out, and, and lots of kung fu movies. Lots of I was a huge martial arts nerd, and me and my friends were all into martial arts a, a lot. So there was a little video store. Uh, the Hollywood, there was a Hollywood video, and and there there was a blockbuster, but the Hollywood video by us had like the weird shit. You know nice. that, that nobody else had, and then there was a the Hollywood and, video, and that's true. Yeah, they they had better, and then there was a small, and I can't remember the name of it. Cor- Corner video. There was a place in Villa Park where I live called Corner Video, and it was it was its own independent little video uh-huh. store. And there was a dude there, and they had like they still had like the porn section behind the <laughs> behind the curtain. <laughs> God bless mom and pop video. Yeah, and then they had 
like they had a a, a big uh, martial arts section, kung fu, you know, wire fu stuff, the the uh, yeah. Straw Brothers stuff, and yeah, yes. samurai movies. I yeah, we we used to watch that stuff. Just like I mean, I, I was the anime. Yeah, Rockford like had a store. Um, it was it was like in the sort of quasi. Asian section of town, which is like a block and a half, but it was like, it was just called Asian video. And I went in there once and I mean, it was almost none of it was translated. I mean, it was for the Asian community. Community, Right. Right. And I went in and I found like a couple, I could recognize the stars on the boxes. And so I rented them and I went up to the counter and they were just kind of looking at me like, what's this guy doing here? And so, but they were, you know, they're sure. And I said, when, when do you need them back? And they're like, oh, whenever. <laughs> and so, like, I felt bad. And, like, a week later, I brought it back. And I walked in, and they're like, well, how you doing? And I'm like, how did they remember me? And then I realized, I'm probably the only non-Asian You're guy the only dude ever been in this you are, you, are, you are a movie unicorn. I know, point. I was. But it was so cool. And, I mean, I remember driving into Chicago to see, like, Once Upon a Time in China at the Art Institute or something. Just, oh, you know. Because that was was an exciting time for movies. But anyway, enough about Sunny Chiba. Well, you know, back on kind of Will's point, and it starts to make sense. You know, we see in in Reservoir Dogs kind of the the early brilliance of Tarantino as a director, but still with some some rough edges and and not with the full budget and Mm -hmm. you know the 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 you know the monstrous you know operation that that i'm sure pulp fiction was by by contrast knowing that this was written first i think we're starting to see quarantine tarantino as the writer but also with kind of those rough edges and not really having his complete voice yet and i think you see that in the characters and i always kind of felt that also understand with this film one of the major changes to it is it was written in a non-linear Format. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. So, so take that into interesting. That's very interesting. That is mm-hmm. something Tony Scott did differently. He had told it in a not. He had written it in a non-linear way, like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Exactly. Yeah. Damn, interesting. So yeah. If it was directed that way, if the ending was different, um, I like. I get what you're saying, Will, about like this. These are two kids like lost in a world. But I think that was the inspiration of this film. If you look at the Charles Starkweather uh, right. you know, like movies like Badlands or even Bonnie and Clyde and uh, what's the other, uh, The Sadist. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen that That's one. a good movie, by the way. Those movies, I mean, that's yeah. what this was about. These are about kids. One of the things, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I've always loved this movie a lot, um, even though it's not a Tarantino movie. I don't know that I ever really considered it a Tarantino movie. As much as it's script-wise, there are certainly things in it. Mm-hmm. Chris, we were talking about earlier that the, the scene with, and we'll get to it, I'm sure that the Dennis Hopter and, and Christopher Walken scene is, you know, I, Tarantino said that is his favorite thing he's ever written, ever. Um, but I think that, I've always really loved it, and I always and in in its own weird way, I love Natural Born Killers because I what I really love about both of these is that I think in a way it is dealing with the idea of celebrity killers and these mm-hmm. young, mm-hmm. you know, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, you know, uh, the the Charles Starkweather thing, especially I think, I think um, Oliver. Uh, um, North, not Oliver North. What's his name? What's the director? Stone, <laughs> Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. Uh, I think he picked up on that a lot and mm-hmm. really played up the idea of like 
Mickey, Mickey and Mallory were celebrities. <laughs> right, right, very because, much. Because, oh, yeah. because they were killers. Yeah. Because they were charming and killers, attractive, that kind of thing. And then, you, know, you look at like uh, Richard Ramirez, the, 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 Night Stalker, the, Stalker. Yeah. the guy was in prison, you know, in, in getting his, you know, in prison, not in prison. Well, I guess he was in prison, but he was in arraigned and, and in trial for years and like had women going crazy for him. He had slaughtered women and, and they were marrying know, him and yeah, yeah marrying him. They had yeah. fans, super fans, that kind of thing. So I love those sort of twisted views in both of these movies about that of like, you know, you're following these two young, cool, sexy psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, in some ways, it sort of is telling of like how much you start to kind of root for them and how much, you know, even though everyone around them is bad or it's maybe worse than they are and they've fallen into these circumstances. Hey, Dick Ritchie is a good guy. Dick Ritchie is a good the new TJ Hooker, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Ritchie is a good guy. No question. You know, he's a thing, loyal friend. He is yeah. a loyal friend. And he is a, he's a very that. loyal friend. Playing off that, I think it's interesting that in his most recent movie, Quentin could have made it about maybe the most famous celebrity killer of all time. And, right. And Manson's in one or two scenes in the whole movie. Well, he wanted to take that away. I yeah. Think. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting <laughs> Once, in, in yeah. the passing yeah. time. But I think they're both about the same thing. I think it's just how he handled it differently. And one, he's sort of examining it and sort of putting it, trying to, you know, in a in a satire, you know, with a satire, he's trying to show us how fucked up it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's like, no, nobody's getting it anyway. I'm just going to remove the power from right. Charles Manson. He's not going to have the power anymore. Mm-hmm. In my version of history, in mm-hmm. my version of the, of California in, in 1969, he's not going to have that power any longer. So I think there's something very personal about these stories. I don't know. Tarantino's never talked about anything in his life where anyone was, you know, murdered or something like that. I don't. I don't know. It would, but it wouldn't surprise me along the way if we found out someday that there was someone close to him that maybe was murdered or involved in some sort of serial killing or something, because there's obviously some sort of connection for him, powerful connections somewhere. I think Mm -hmm. in the idea of these serial killers becoming celebrities and not in a positive way, which Mm -hmm. is interesting, but because I think as violent as his stuff is as, as you know, uh, as much as he's been attacked for how hyper violent and how much violence and stuff and stuff he puts in his movies, he knows that's fake. And it's like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, you're so hard on me for this fake violence, but then you turn around and make celebrities of people that create real violence in yeah. in life. But mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Quentin when he comes on the show. In, in a, that's right. When yeah, Quentin shows up, yeah, probably just a couple months away after he gets rid of this. So. We have a seat, boy. We have a sofa egg roll. We got everything here from a little eye Joe to damn if I know. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks? What that mean? Hmm? I think you're too scared to be eaten. Let's see. We're sitting down here. Ready to negotiate. 
<laughs> You've already given up your shit. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See, if I ask if you want some dinner, and you ready everyone start to try down, I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world, and who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down like my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> you ain't even sat down yet. Man, that TV over there since you've been in the room is a woman with her breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look. You've just been clacking me. I know I'm pretty. But I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. <laughs> Ooh-wee! This child feels. I love... Uh, I do want to bring up uh, some of the tarantino verse uh connections and mm-hmm. uh, we already mentioned one i think there are basically two in this one there's the uh the alabama connection to reservoir dogs and then there is the uh the connection with uh uh lee um who's the 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 film producer uh Donowitz, that, right? that Donowitz? Is, yeah yeah Donowitz. lee donowitz that is uh that is the uh uh, Donnie, what is it, Sergeant Donnie Donowitz, the uh, the bear Jew? That is uh, that's his son in, no, no. in the in the Tarantino verse. No, no, Lee Donowitz, Lee Donowitz is Sergeant Donnie Donowitz's grandfather. It, is it his? Uh, it's his grandson. So Lee Donowitz yeah. is his grandson. Yeah. Okay, right. I've seen it in two different sources. One said it was his grandson. One said it was his his son. So I was thinking he could have been born. 1946 or so, 44. Uh, he, I mean, he was probably 40-something in it's, 93. Would have made him his son, see. right? Saul Rubinek was born in 48. So he could have been his son. Could have yeah, been. that's what I was... So yeah. either he's a direct... A descendant. To, to the a descendant of, yes. of... Yes, yes. Now, you had mentioned something incorrectly, I think, on our first episode. Not probably to, more than uh, one time. <laughs> Well, this will be a regular segment. What that 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 Mr. Chris White fucked up. Um, that, that Mr. Last White episode. was Clarence, which is not yeah. the case. Yeah, his name yeah, is Clarence, yeah. not Clarence. And but Alabama, there is the connection mm-hmm. there. Alabama, obviously. And and what I read is is that if Tony Scott had stuck to the original script, Clarence dies, and then in the in Tarantino's real real you know world. Um, at some point, Alabama would have teamed up with with Larry, who was Mr. White. Uh, oh, but... I see. Well, there's... Uh, there's now, has other... he said this, or is it just to him in case he's using a name he likes in a couple of scripts? I don't He's made He's made reference to it okay. himself in some ways. Like, he has confirmed that, like, his universe is connected, but then here's the thing. Like, there are the... There are the movies of his that are his universe, mm-hmm. and then there are the movies in his universe that are movies in his universe. Yeah. Like right, Kill like Bill. Bill, Kill Bill, right? That's that is movie a movie inside of his universe, inside right. of the Pulp yeah. Fiction universe, or whatever. Yeah, so I'm not. Sure. I don't know the breakdown off the top of my head, but yeah. So some of them, but there are. Yeah. I mean, he. I think he. I think at first it might have been 
names he liked for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But I think as he went on, he started to create because there are descendants in the Hateful Eight that are, Mm -hmm. you know, in Pulp Fiction, there are descendants, you know, so there are certainly. He's made that more prevalent. I think that's something he's he's certainly. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a, a a Marcellus Spivey, not a Marcellus Wallace, but a Marcellus Spivey who mentioned. is mentioned uh, by Mister White as uh, basically a guy who moves uh, diamonds, um, and that's someone related to Drexel, the Gary Oldman well, character. I'll throw out a trivia thing now. There is another, not a character, but. There is something in the movie uh, that is in another Tarantino movie. So um, Quentin Tarantino, or, uh, uh, Chris, Christian Slater wears the gold Elvis style sunglasses in the film. Mm-hmm. What character in what other Tarantino film wears those same glasses? Is it in Pulp Fiction? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, right. In Kill Bill Volume One, when she oh, uh, God damn it, I, yep, out of the pussy wagon, she uh, she puts on a pair of those, and <laughs> so that, that, that I was love it. Trivia. Yeah, there we go. And we don't know if they're the same glasses, but they could possibly be <laughs> the exact be. same. Elvis. I think we're hitting a we're hitting a scary new level here. <laughs> it, 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 we are getting there. Uh, speaking of Christian Slater, uh, I like most um, uh, teenagers or early twenty somethings in nineteen ninety three thought that Christian Slater was all that in a bag of chips, um, and, and and he's he continued to have a great career, and I like him in a lot of things. Um, th- does he overpower this movie a little too much? Is he a little too Christian Slater in this movie? Um, I don't. I, don't I mean, think so. I think he pulls off yeah. Clarence in a. Yeah, I think he's fine. He's okay. you like him, and you 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 need somebody really charismatic to follow through this movie, and you yeah. need to be charismatic because they're going to cause a lot of people to die. So yeah, you, wanna, you know, <laughs> he's got. I mean, he, he's not like coming, and he's a little crazy, and he's mm-hmm. a little off kilter, a little off center, and he but that's very on brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think, um, you know, you, I think before I think this, if you don't have that. He's also going to get drowned out by actors like James Gandolfini and Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, and you know what I mean. Like he right. holds his own. Gary Oldman, in, yeah. yeah, Gary, yeah, Oldman. Gary Oldman, being very yeah, Bronson I mean, fucking Pinchot. Yes. right, the great. <laughs> Bronson. Great, who is actually really good in this. He's no, he's funny in this. He is he's funny. He's believable. Yeah, he gets that coke all over him. He ab lived that scene apparently. Did he really? Yeah, apparently the, the the scene where he got pulled over for the coke was something he had lived. But no, I think Slater is great. I think uh, Patricia Arquette is terrific. I don't know that this movie works if it if they're not young and sexy they have to be yeah yeah. i think think they have to be i think uh slater does an excellent job of actually borderlining on too cool and too hip and not nerdy enough like there's just enough sort of awkward nerdiness in him even though he's incredibly good looking and cool and and you know like says all the right things at all the right times there's also this awkwardness to him at times, and he is a little lost at times. 
and he's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants, uh, you know, and he's got a big pair of balls and figures that's going to get him through, you know, but there's times where he's definitely way out of his element, way over his head. He just doesn't, he, he just listens to Elvis man and just goes with it. He, you know, he's obviously insane too. Like yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not Elvis. It's the mentor. The mentor. The mentor yes. He's building yeah, they, a mentor. They couldn't afford to call him Elvis or use any of the Elvis Presley songs. Uh, right. so. He just talks about how much he wants to have sex with Elvis early on. Well, he does day. mention that in the beginning. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to pick yeah, one, I had to have one. See, my, I think, That's I guess maybe one about. reason I'm a little less fond of this movie than I was is for me this time, Christian felt too much on the cool side. I think it was like, he's so hip and he's so, like, he's always the coolest guy in the room. Even when he's a goofball, it's like, you know, the cops at the end are like, I like this guy. I like this guy. Right, right. And I mean, I, I think of Christian Slater. The first time I saw him that I really took notice was in Heathers, which was, I don't know, yeah. five years before this, maybe, or not quite. And uh, in there, he's playing a cool guy, but he's also really playing a psychopath. I mean, you can, you know, DJ is like, He's scary at times, and he's yes. definitely he, he is not in control. And he tries to actually blow up the school. Oh yeah, and it, yeah. just when he talks, he's like you know, even when he's happy, it's like this is a this is not a dude you want to be hanging around. With. No, no, right. no. He 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 strangles cats in the backyard. Oh yeah, for fun. Uh, what was the uh, what was the movie uh, he did where he's the um, the pirate radio? Um, uh, pump up the volume. Pump up the volume, which was. God, that was I haven't seen that since the I theater, I think. That was a fun yeah. movie. Though. I love that movie growing up. I love that movie too. I was a big Christian Slater fan. Uh my my wife is still a big Christian Slater fan. Um I like I him. Loved him in Mr. I Robot. like him a lot. I, I see what you're saying, Will. I mean, there are I think if you look at it with a critical eye, I would I would agree, you know, with that that there are times where he's just too cool. Uh, and I don't think it's his fault necessarily. I mean I don't know how you play it otherwise. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I do appreciate the fact that there there are times where but, but he's also like uniquely able to. I was just thinking about the scene with Bronson Pinchot when they're going up to the hotel room to to Don, Lee Donowitz's apartment or whatever, and he pulls the gun out on Pinchot and he's he turns into that fucking psycho. Hard That's a good scene. Like like Harvey Keitel esque, you know, yeah. streets. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Pesci, you know, the best of the fucking psychos. He's I like know, that. scaring the shit out of this kid. And then once he feels like, oh, okay, he's not, he, everything's okay. He turns into this super friendly, sorry, you know, mm-hmm. like guy, like that was an act. That was just an act. I, that's not who I really am. That's just an act. And it's like, well, which one do you believe? Which one is Clarence? Because yeah. uh, he's got to be a little bit. It can't all right. a little bit of both. Yeah. Because especially, I'll, you know, the early scene where he goes into Drexel to get Alabama's freedom. I mean, you know, yeah. he goes into a room full of this guy who is a comic book clerk. <laughs> he goes into a room well, full of crazy pimps. Think of it this way, though. I, I mean, every time he has a moment like that, what happens before that moment? He talks to it. He talks to Elvis. He talks to Elvis. And you know, that's a good point. And Elvis pumps him up. And Elvis, I mean, this is his delusion. Right. That's a good point. Is I keep forgetting that Elvis is the evidence that he really is psychotic. Yeah. He's really nuts. 
that's every a good time, point. So every to Val Kilmer. I mean, because there's parts where he has doubts, and Elvis Elvis tells him tells him not to. Don't worry about those doubts. You're the coolest man. You can do that. Just get out there, Clarence. That's, yeah, there. that's a good point. And it's it that is his psychosis. That is his. I don't. That, I think that's. A, I think it's the mistake is, and this is one of the reasons I love Tarantino is that he isn't. He is not. You're not supposed to love Clarence, right? And and it's easy to forget that because Christian Slater is so charismatic, right? And he's funny, and he's kind of a goofball. And plus, it's like Elvis is like it's almost kind of so jokey and hip, like oh, it's an Elvis kind of thing. But yeah, when you break down what's really happening, you know, he's it's having, like he's having club. It's like he's losing yeah. his mind. He has an imaginary friend who's telling him his, all this his stuff. Insecurities is okay. are forcing him. His insecurities have created an imaginary friend. I don't know what that diagnosis would be, but that's, you know, he's so insecure that when he has to go perform that he, he has an imaginary friend that has to talk and it's Elvis Presley. And he, well, I mean, he, and then all of a sudden he he turns into the, the coolest guy in the room. Right. And then, yeah, no, that's a good point. And then people get murdered for various reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he has, has no relationship with his dad who was, who he really hasn't, seen in three years hasn't spent any time with in over five and was a drunk whenever he did spend time with him so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of dad issues going on there as as well but yeah it's uh it's interesting to think about along those lines i hadn't i hadn't gone there but Mm -hmm. uh yeah that's exactly he shows up elvis shows up before every massacre yeah no that's a good point that's a good point it's uh yeah he's I mean Clarence is I mean I think it's it, that's why I find this movie so interesting and once again in especially when then you sort of combine it with natural board killers and the idea of like how much can I get you to like a psychopath mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I, I think he's playing with us with these movies with these ideas with these characters of like you know and I think he's done that throughout almost all of his films. I mean, if you look at most of the characters in his films that he's written, like if there been any truly good people in any of his, I mean, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood murdered his wife. Right. <laughs> and yet, I mean, he murdered literally hundreds of people in World War II. And yet Cliff is <laughs> one of the hero, favorite characters, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so... I, this, and he murders three teenagers at the end of the movie. And yeah. I mean, there I've seen this this argument made and I don't really agree with it, but people are like, but in the movie they didn't do anything. And it's like, well, they were the Manson kids. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not at that point. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's, no, uh, but I, I think he has this, this, all of his movies, they're, they're all bad guys. I mean, they're all not flawed. flawed no in, yeah. They're very, very, I flawed. mean, look at, you know, are there two flawed. more likable characters than Travolta and Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction? And they're, 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 they're great. And they're, yeah, they're Killers, they're yeah. fucking hitmen. Yeah. <laughs> they're straight up assassins. Yeah, and when they kill an innocent guy by accident, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Time to call on the wolf. That's so, right. I mean, I, I understand. Like, I kind of get what you're saying to you know, as far as it, it, I think it's a bit of the Tony Scott. I, mean, I think I, so. I, I think yeah. I think uh, Tony Scott, and this is this is Tony what Scott, he does. Yes. He, he gives it a certain, you know, a certain slickness, a certain Hollywood glamour. You know, I mean, pop, yeah. Top Gun, and and some, uh, 
uh, someone I was I was having a conversation with someone I was I was giving some friends of mine a hard time because they were talking and they were kind of bros and they really love Top Gun. And then I, I went into the whole whole sort of Tarantino. You know, Top Gun is a sort of <laughs> perfect. Out, you know, just to get a reaction from them and everything. And and then um, I don't know. I read something about it later. You know, because I because I, I kind of remember the thing, but I didn't remember it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back and read that. And 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 but then I read something about that, and and it's like, well. What Tony Scott does with his movies is he fetishizes whatever it is he's filming. I would agree. I would agree. You know what I mean? Like he it, he turns it into a fa- and and if you look at like action films in general, that's what you're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. you're fetishizing violence and and these hyper masculine characters, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that is part of that effect here with Christian Slater. He's he's the main subject. And Tony Scott is fetishizing him to a certain degree. And I think you see it grow throughout the film of Clarence, especially, and it makes sense though, as as he has success with these criminal endeavors, he's getting more and more confident. His ego is, is starting further and further out of control. And, and, you know, he's getting cooler and, and more, you know, wild and just, uh, you Can know, he stop out. leaving breadcrumbs for the gangsters, though, <laughs> at <laughs> some point? He's not that smart, though. I think that's the thing is he's bold, but he's not. That's yeah. why him him dying in the end makes a lot more sense, like, as far as the plot goes, is he keeps getting bigger and more bold, but keeps right. getting making super mistakes. So logically, in the end, he's going to pay for all this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, yeah, and I think I think you know Tarantino has done that as well. Like, oh, sure, you know, all the characters pay at some point for their bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Everybody dies in Reservoir Dogs. Like Vincent dies, and Marcellus gets raped, and uh, you know, yeah, and uh, you know, and. And out of Vincent and Jules, Jules decides to step off the path, right. and right. he lives. And he Vincent did. doesn't, he and makes, he dies. So it's it's there. There seems to be some rules in these movies of like who you if you kill an innocent because it's like did did Buscemi kill anyone in it? Did he kill an innocent? No real people, just no cops. regular people, cops. just cops. All right, just, just cops. But in the in the world of Tarantino, that doesn't count. Right, in yeah. the world of Tarantino, yeah. that's they're what I'm convinced. saying. They're Under the rules of Tarantino, that doesn't count. So cops are okay. You you can live if you kill cops, I guess. But if you kill an innocent person or if you torture someone, mm-hmm. that's probably a rule. You know, if you torture someone, you're going to die. Um, <clears throat> Nazis, you're free for anything. Oh, yeah. Nazis or... Nazis, or, completely, uh, yeah. Or Manson More the better. Manson family. That's if you're ultimate evil, you get a pass. If they kill them, will. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of the Lunar Chronicles. And I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. 
Could I uh, <clears throat> have one of those Chesterfields now? Sure. You got a match? No, oh, wait, no, no, I don't bother. I don't. You're Sicilian, huh? Sicilian. <laughs> no. I read a lot, especially about things, about history. I find that shit fascinating. Here's a fact. I don't know whether you know or not. Well, Sicilians were spawned by niggas. Come again? <laughs> no, it, it, it's a fact, yeah. You see, uh, Sicilians have uh, black blood pumping through their hearts. And, and no, if you, if, you, if you don't believe me, uh, you can look it up. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, you see, um, the Moors conquered Sicily. And the Moors are niggers. Yeah. See, so you see, way back then, uh, Sicilians were like uh, wops from northern Italy. Um, they all had blonde hair and blue eyes. But, uh, well, then the Moors moved in there and, uh, well, they changed the whole country. They did so much fucking with Sicilian women, huh? that they changed the whole bloodline forever. That's why blonde hair and blue eyes became black hair and dark skin. You know, it's absolutely amazing to me to think that to this day, hundreds of years later, that, uh, that Sicilians still carry that nigger gene. Now, this, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm quoting history. It's written. It's a fact that's written. I love this guy. No, no, no. guy. No. <laughs> no. Your ancestors are niggers. Uh -huh. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. And, and your great, 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 great grandmother fucked the nigger. Oh, yeah. And she had a half-nigger kid. Now, if that's a fact, tell me, am I lying? Because you, you're part eggplant. <laughs> Hey, hey. You're a cantaloupe. Beautiful.
I haven't killed anybody since 1984. Go to this comedian's son's apartment, come back with something that tells me where that asshole went. Sounds like I can wipe this egg off my face. Um, so do do you think the um, the uh, Christopher Walken scene, which is you know basically Walken comes into a scene and and just absolutely dominates it, and the 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 other scene that I think of is the Pulp Fiction scene, the watch scene. Do you think that that Tarantino gets Walken for the the gold watch scene because of the scene in True Romance? Yeah, that's possible. It's they're similar scenes. Yeah, who he may have written both for him specifically. I mean, you got to remember Tarantino since the beginning has always had I'm going to I'm writing this for this person in mind. Here's a list of five people that, you know, like he was casting movies before he was writing movies. Like he was he would cast film mm-hmm. for his stories and cast films. What was it? He would do uh Shoot, I can't remember now. There was something that he would do where he was literally like casting roles. Oh, for books. If he would read a book, he would cast a role. He would cast. Oh, he'd read while he's reading it. Yeah, he would cast the the all the parts in a book as actors. Um, so he could have written those pieces specifically for Christopher Walken. You know what I mean? Like. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, Especially in Pulp Fiction. Well, I mean, both of them, because he's really only in one scene. I mean, one scene. One That's scene. It. And it's essentially a monologue. Because yes. he gives his monologue. Then Dennis Hopper gives his right. monologue. They have the end. They 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 have a, you know. Great, a little back great, and forth. But yeah. They both have great parts. Great, great parts in that scene. Like Yeah. I mean, that's two powerhouses just yeah. putting them there and. Yeah. And just in, in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Walken is just super slick in the beginning. He's fucking, you know, hard-assed. I've killed men. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And then, you know, Dennis Hopper is kind of trying not to lie, protect his son, but he's kind of weak. He's kind of scared. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he tells the Sicilian story and the ch- power dynamic changes. And yeah. knowing he's going to be killed. No, yeah. You know what? No, no, he, I, no. I know. I know. You're walking out of here, and I'm gonna be dead. I'm gonna and if that's dead. the case, I'm gonna rub your nose in it right now. Right. He, he, the thing is, is, is uh, Christopher Walken doesn't look Sicilian at all. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> he doesn't look Italian in no, any way at all. He's you not know, Italian. He's so good, no one cares. <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you're not thinking that during that scene. You know, that's yeah. interesting. Well, you know, Hopper asks for the cigarette, but yeah. before he offers them the cigarette, he doesn't take it. It's like. Can I have one of those Chesterfields now? Knowing it's his last. Yeah, he knows. No. He no. knows, and yeah. Walken knows. It's like they both know what's going to happen. He's like, "Can I yeah. have one of those now?" And it's almost like by saying now, he's like, "Well, we've crossed this line. We both right. know we have. Yeah. Can I have it now?" You know. But I love like how he just he sticks the knife in with that whole story, and he mm-hmm. just twists it and twists it. And he's just like, uh, one more fuck you. You know, just yeah. every time he says the N-word, it's just like, you know, he's just twisting the fucking knife in Christopher Walken. And, and you know, and it's a perfect ending. To in it, front like, of Walken's guys. It's guys. And how great is it to see young, slightly skinny, slightly more hair James Gandolfini just in the background? <laughs> 
background to those scenes. Yeah. What, man, did he not do a great job just in that little scene? The facial expression of him, like almost giddy, yeah, knowing what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and just kind of being a psychopath. He's like excited for the yeah. violence, how bad this guy's going to get it. He's just kind of has this weird look on his face of like, <laughs> you know, he's so just different. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, he's great. What? I, mean, I wonder. I wonder if that. I mean, he did roles after that, but I mean, that had to be part of him getting the Sopranos gig. I think so. I just finished reading. I just finished a complete rewatch of The Sopranos, and yeah. I read this book along the way, The Sopranos Sessions, which every episode has like a breakdown, and they there's all these interviews with David Chase and this and that, and they who did they want originally like. Um, Bronson Pinchot. No, but oh crap! Who the Untouchables? <laughs> and he's in Ocean's Eleven. Um, it's gonna drive me talking. insane. He's not Italian either. Elliot Gould. Uh, no, it's Andy Garcia. <laughs> Andy Garcia. Oh, okay. I sure. think they might have okay. wanted him and Tony LaPaglia, maybe. But apparently, Gandolfini LaPaglia. gave the gave the audition, and it was like, that's, that's it. There, he's there's a, Tony. Yeah, he's the guy. He was terrific in the scene. With Patricia Arquette. Oh, yeah. That's, and he's such a big, yeah. even, you know, he's bigger on The Sopranos, but he's such a big guy and she's such a little blonde girl, essentially. Right. It's, br- I remember and seeing he, that in the theater and being like, that is a brutal scene. I wouldn't be surprised, Chris, if it was, you know, someone saw this and mm-hmm. like, he's the he's the guy to be The Sopranos because to be Tony Soprano, because what he does so well and, and I think what, anyone who portrays like the great Italian American gangsters, what those guys do. I've run into a few in my lifetime. I mean, that'll be charming. Mm -hmm. They are able to be so disarming and likable and charming. And in a split second, they are turning blooded and will, you know, murder your dog in front of you. Like Mm -hmm. it's just that they have that thing where it's like on the one hand that, and he does that. He has that same thing where he's, Mm -hmm affable and charming and funny and likable and then the next second you know yeah yeah. and he does you know i was reading in that again in that book it they said he was reluctant he was always very sort of i mean he loved being tony soprano he loved playing the role but he was there was always just this little reluctance because he was such kind of a big guy that he was used to people assuming he would be a bully right so he kind of hated to be a bully even if it were fake he right. knew he had to do it, but it was. They said that was always the hardest thing to get him to kind of turn it up, especially with scenes with women. Even though there are, you know, he beats the hell out of a couple of women in The Sopranos. Right. Mm-hmm. The scene where he's, he's like, "Oh, you're just a little cutie. Can you turn around for me?" No, 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 the other way. <laughs> yeah, he just. You know, it's coming. Pow! <laughs> you want to stay? You want to play? You want to play with Daddy? You want to play with Daddy? Come on. Take your best shot. Stick it in me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then, boom. Crack. And- <laughs> he fucking lifts her up and throws her through the shower. And she was great, too. I guess that scene took, like, five days to shoot. I'll bet oh, it I did. That. Yeah. I mean, and, and she's amazing in it as well. Just bloody and, you know, half naked and just fucking that end where she finally gets the, you know, shotgun and blows his face yeah, off. When she picks up that toilet cover. Yes. Because like, uh, yeah. we've all we had to take the toilet it. cover off and you know how heavy it is. Guys are fucking heavy. Yeah, that, when she hits him with that, I'm like, okay, this is over now. Yeah. <laughs> hits him with the Elvis statue first and it just breaks. That's right. It's just just, just, just came off. Off. 
So then she's like, okay, fuck it. I got this chance. Yeah. I'm like, was there any symbolism I there? The <laughs> I, love this, I love the scene when she, he throws her into the, through the shower door and she's sitting oh. in the bathtub and he comes in at her and she starts fucking laughing at him. Wait a minute. And she's laughing and you're like, he's like, what? You look ridiculous. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and then he, he stops and goes in the mirror. Yeah, he stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, and she was she was great in this. Patricia Arquette yeah. is awesome in this movie. She is completely believable as like the fumbling call girl and just the mm-hmm. just yeah, I don't want to say ditzy the hooker pong, with the just, heart of gold. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's great. But that you know goes back to the you know. Tony Scott makes them very likable. You know, we're conditioned to root for somebody in these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very likable, but she's also a fucking psycho, and she's also delusional, and she's following. You know, and she's such a great, uh, you know, partner for for Clarence mm-hmm. in the you know, in in that she supports mm-hmm. him one hundred percent. There is no questioning of Clarence no. at any time. Whatever he's going to do, she yeah. supports it. And it's kind of like you brought up with Badlands, where it's like. You know, it's it like Sissy Spacek is kind of she's ignoring all the signs right. Martin Sheen is throwing off, and yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of forgive her to some degree in that movie because she's so young. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, I think, fourteen. Yeah, so she's a that? kid, and she's yeah, and, and not the smartest kid. So yeah, you can, yeah, uh, not the smartest kid. But but yeah. you know, in Badlands, it's like you know her, he murders her father. Right, right, right. And she kind of just is so infatuated with him that it, 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 it barely registers. And you know, and not getting ahead of ourselves, but that's going to come back in Natural Born Killers right. too. Right. Yes. Which I, apparently I was not part of that script. Okay. Um, Tarantino. That was one of the things that he hated. Even the, though the Rodney so stuff and the Rodney the, stuff is amazing as the Rodney. I, mean, I think that's. I, there's Natural Born Killers has some great parts. It has some boring parts, and it has some bad parts. That Rodney stuff, as hard as it can be to watch, is I Fantastic. think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's Brentino didn't like it, and but his reasoning was that Mickey and Mallory were just who they were. There was no reason. Nothing created them. Nothing like, created them. They were just who they were, and and his biggest problems with I think all the changes Oliver Stone made were what he felt were against the characters. Um, mm. Like the part where uh, Mallory is sort of seducing that other guy and to right. get Mickey pissed off and that sort of thing. And Tarantino hated that. And it was, it, the idea was like, no, she would never do that because she is 100% loyal to Mickey. She would, ne- that would, that would never enter her mind to do that kind of a thing. So th- it's always a weird thing with him, but his, I mean, his, his characters are so alive and real to him that I just think. Right. When anyone, when, and he hasn't written, I mean, since then he has not written any screenplays for anyone else to direct. Right? Um, uh, I think he helped on Sin City, but I don't know. Yeah, and he did like a polish on Crimson Tide or he wrote a couple scenes, yeah, but that was going to do Crimson Tide. No. <laughs> just the scene where to talk about silver surfer <laughs> um let me get one more i'll bet oliver stone is the guy who put in mickey seeing the indian uh whatever yeah, the guy. That's so oliver stone <laughs> very oliver yeah. stone. 
Uh, I do want to mention um, the the scene with Michael Rappaport, which uh, before we recorded, uh, Sal, Sal was actually listening to the scene where uh, where Dick Ritchie gets the phone call that he's he got the job. He's he's going to be on T.J. Hooker, the new T.J. Hooker, right? The it's new the... T.J. Hooker. And there's this there's this moment where he pauses and, and says, "Clarence," and Clarence looks at him. And he's like, yeah. And he's he's like, ah, never mind. And and I asked Sal, and I think I think I think you were absolutely right. I asked Sal, it's like, what what was what was Dick gonna say to Clarence there? I don't know if you have. I don't remember you, if you remember the scene. Will it's basically there? I know. I I, def, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can picture it exactly. Yeah. And and he 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 starts to say something, right? Because he's so excited that he got this is his dream coming true. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and, and Clarence is in a hurry to leave, and he's like, "What?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, nothing." I think that's. I mean, I think that's like literally one of the best acted moments in the movie. Like Michael Rappaport, I don't it know is. if he's a great actor, but he that one moment, you're like, you completely buy it. It's yeah, and Sal, Sal, I think is right. Is that is that Rappaport, Dick Ritchie was gonna ask if he had to go through with this drug deal? I agree. I agree. Because he just got the call, right? Like the, his he my life his break. I don't I don't right. know if I should do this. I don't know if I should go and do this now because you know my life just changed. this is what I've been waiting for all yeah. my life, and now it's yeah. yeah. But and he goes, why, he goes, and, and he that's survives, why, right? That's why Dick Ritchie is uh, the is the is the only nice guy in the movie. He is that loyal of a friend. Does he live? He does. He runs okay. out. He he yes, runs he does. down yeah. down okay. the down the hallway and gets out of the uh, okay, the, the penthouse suite or whatever it is. Yeah, he will. So Clarence is very excited that Dick is going to get to play with T.J. Hooker, Captain Kirk. All right. Shatner. What actor in this film played with another Star Trek captain? Um, Not Captain Kirk, but a different Star Trek captain. I'm looking at the cast list. Are we doing a doing a Kevin Bacon here? No, it's it's not that far. Let's see. Another Star Trek captain. But then I've got another bit of trivia after this. All right. I'm talking Picard. I don't know. You got me. It's Christian Slater. Okay. And he This is right. This is this is what I was gonna say. Star Trek four. He had lines with Captain Sulu. Oh gosh, that's <laughs> right. No, it's six, isn't it? Is oh it yeah, six? I'm sorry. Because uh, Sulu's a Sulu's yeah, yeah. part of the crew in four, but he's. I'm sorry, you're right. Six, not. Yeah, nine. that's you're right. That's what I was going to say. And wasn't his mom like a costume designer or something? Something like that. I forgot. I said, forget. I, that was a big a deal. Yeah, that was a big deal. Whenever he, it was like, oh my god, Christian Slater. Yeah, and he's just that one movie. moment. You're like, was yeah. that Christian Slater? <laughs> <laughs> so hey, that was a time when Christian Slater was everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's good though. He was mm-hmm. on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Let's eat too much caviar. I remember Larry got on him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, keep going on on the just the cast is crazy. Um, we Sam Jackson's see- in it. Sam Jackson in one scene, and he plays Sam Jackson, huh? and and Chris Penn is Chris. That's Penn. right. <laughs> and Chris Tom Sizemore is Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he will do. show up in uh, Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers, and then 
And then, you know, Chris Penn, of course, you know, had had already filmed and came out in Reservoir Dogs. Um, how many, you know, we talked Walken comes back. Patricia Arquette is in Kill Bill. Um, yeah, Brad Pitt, obviously, is, no, turns into one of Tarantino's. Hmm? That's Rosanna Arquette in Kill Bill, isn't it? Oh, is that? Wait, thought... who's in? Which Arquette is in Kill Bill? Rosanna. <laughs> Oh, it's Roseanne Arquette. Wait, who is she? She's the stoner chick in uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, not Fiction. That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. right. That's Roseanne Arquette, though, right? Yeah, that's Roseanne. In Pulp Fiction, Patricia Arquette is in Kill Bill, right? Isn't she the uh, um, the one with the eye patch? No, that's Daryl Hannah. That's that's oh crap. That's Daryl. Okay, (laughs) we'll do that in a few months. Sorry, we'll get around to it. Let us stick with the trivia. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I'm here for, is to, and, is to throw out inaccuracies like, that you guys have to correct not. me on. And Gary Oldman, wow. in what must be the strangest Gary Oldman performance, in a career of weird performance. He said one of his top two roles he's ever had. Man, that, he did it's not so see, bizarre. He did not see the script. Tony Scott was talking to him on the phone, told him that you're a white guy who thinks he's a black guy, and you're a drug dealer pimp. And... Gary Oldman said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm in. He, on set, here's some more trivia. So on set, his 70-year-old mother was there for the shooting. (laughs) He would would constantly ask her opinion on his scenes. He he wore the eye. You notice he had that fucked up eye. Uh Contact lens that he used from Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula. And the hair was done by the same wig person that oh, did the hair. Big Dracula. Yeah. So some Gary Oldman trivia for that. Uh, that right before that, he had played Dracula. And then before that, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. So <laughs> Wide range, man. Yeah. Gary Oldman has a wide range. And he's been Commissioner Gordon where he plays it as a yes. very normal average person. Yes. I love I love this Gordon. Like, I do great. love his Gordon. It's, he's mm-hmm. really good. Like too average. It's like I don't even think you could be a police commissioner. You're so average. Yes, <laughs> he's so average. God, he's been in so much stuff. Oh, well, here's, so much some, here's some other links uh, that I had. Um, so we talked about uh, Badlands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was th- that's based on the Charles Starkweather killings, which is mm-hmm. which happened in the 30s. It was this young dude, kind of a. a no, it was in the Rockabilly. 50s, wasn't it? Uh, it was, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50s, he was born yeah. in the 30s, but yeah, it was in the 50s. Because he was kind of a James Dean-y looking kind of guy. Kind of James Dean, had a crew cut, you know, drove fast, and and had this young girl that they went on a killing spree together, and um, they became kind of celebrities. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did get, I think he did end up getting executed. But it was across Nebraska, which the Badlands... The film The Badlands Machine, Cross Nebraska, there's that connection. Nebraska, the album mm-hmm. by um, Springsteen. The Springsteen boss. is, there's, it's uh, sort of influenced by the Charles Starkweather uh, killings. Um, but then uh, the there's a movie called uh, Murder in the Heartland, which was a 1993 TV movie, and it stars Tim Roth. Oh, crazy enough. Uh, then you have Calif- <laughs> you have California. I was going to wonder if we we're going to get around to California with Brad Pitt and, Rose- uh, and um, 
um, Juliet uh, Lewis, Juliet right? Lewis. Juliet Lewis. Uh-huh. And in Natural Born and Killer. And the guy that played Ensign Rowe, so another Star Trek tie-in. So. Okay, there you go. Uh, so yeah, some interesting, <laughs> some interesting cross-pollination mm-hmm. throughout the Charles Starkweather sort of quadrilogy of films that have been made. I don't know if there's any connection to the scenes, but... I think, then, did California come out like the same year as True Romance? As True Romance? Nineteen ninety-three, yeah, same year. Same okay, year. okay. That, that's it. Actually, I think released almost the same time. In just one of the random things I read about this, uh, it was on at the movies with Siskel and Ebert. The same, the same episode as True really? Romance. Yes, be, be, and that's before Brad Pitt was sort of Brad Pitt. You yeah, know, he, he had was, done well. He had done Thelma and Louise, right? But he know? hadn't done like he did. He hadn't done Pizza. seven. He did Mystic Pizza, my friends. But did he do, what was it, Legends of the Fall, a movie I confess I've never seen, but that sort of launched him as the heartthrob, right? Yeah, I liked Legends of the Fall. I've never seen him. Yeah, it's very good. He did uh, River Runs He gets killed by a bear. Spoilers. He what? He gets killed by a bear. Spoilers. (laughs) Do you do Meet Joe Black where he gets hit by two cars? Have you ever seen that clip? I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Boom and boom. I, I, I... Uh, Micho Black is actually one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies for some reason. Is it really? Yeah. I don't think it's a great movie, um, but I love the concept of it. And and I think there's some... I love his portrayal of death. death. I, I really think he did a, a good job in that. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Did, did he popularize the, uh, the uh, honey bear... Uh, bong. I doubt <laughs> that people were using those. <laughs> I don't think that was anything. Yeah, but he might have brought it to the set. Condescend me, man. That's the one line in this movie my brother always quotes. Condescend me, man. Did you guys ever? This is one when I was watching it. This struck me in the opening scene when Clarence is in the bar with the other woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That actress, I had to look this up. Yeah. That actress is a woman named Anna Thompson. And I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been in a lot of movies. She's in a ton. And she was in the movie Unforgiven. She was the prostitute oh, yeah. that they yeah. cut up. Yeah. It yeah. sort of yeah. led to everything happening. And yeah, like, that was, woman yeah. used to be in everything. This That was probably her most prominent role. Yeah. yeah. Like, she always played sort of a, you know, white trashy kind of right hooker uh, not hooker always but. <laughs> not always a hooker but yeah because in this movie she may be a hooker she may not it's it's a i think area. she was a hooker and i think wow. she was a hooker who clarence was so pathetic not even a, a hooker, hooker would pick her up would, would yeah would sleep with him and then you know and then alabama is the is the the call the call girl so brad pitt had done all right so he did um, I'm just gonna go with the movies. So Thelma and Louise. So after Thelma and Louise, that's kind of when the anyone really noticed him. Right. That's when he was. Uh... Then he did the same year Johnny Swade. Yeah. Then he did a TV movie called Two Fisted Tales. Um, he was in Cool World about that cool time. World. What I was cool mention. World. <laughs> I proclaimed Cool World unwatchable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I saw it in the theater. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. And then a river runs through it. Contact. Is contact? Wow. Yeah, really? I don't. The Jodie Foster one? I well, no. This is a short film. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Uh, then he went California, True Romance, The Favor, Interview with a Vampire. I yeah, think there was that. That was where he was because yeah, then he yeah. was there with Tom Cruise, and that novel was huge. And then it was yeah. Legends of the Fall, Seven, Twelve Monkeys, Sleepers, The Devil's Own. At that Seven, point, yeah. Now he's, he's super. Now he's superstar Brad Pitt. I remember a bunch of us from the newspaper going to see Seven on opening night. And then we went out to dinner afterwards, and we all just sat around the table staring into it like, what did we just see? <laughs> it was so much more intense than anyone yeah. expected it to be. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, I, it's I a great movie. From the box. I think 12 Monkeys is one of his best performances. 12 Monkeys. Yeah. He's really good at it. I think he was nominated for that, maybe. Was he? He should have. he might have been. Yeah. Sal and I had this discussion uh, off, um, um, off recording. I don't know when it was. Um, Brad Pitt our generation's greatest actor, you know, I think so. And, 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 and Sal, Sal's more in the, in the DiCaprio camp. I, I, I mean, he's one of, maybe he's our generation's greatest movie, movie star. star. Okay. But I think yeah. that's, I think that's, that's a difference there. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he's a, he's not a bad actor by any means, but you know, yeah. Our greatest movie star is probably actually, uh, George, George Kirk. Clooney. He's probably the greatest at, at movie star. You know what I mean? Like, other than, well, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom oh, Cruise man. has a career that's been from like the early '80s to now. Yeah. I think I think Brad Pitt is a good actor. I think he is a good actor. I, I do think too. He's had some very good moments. I do not think he is a great actor. I don't. I don't. I think. Are like, you more of a Daniel Day Lewis guy? Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis is pretty Daniel. great. I mean, Edward yeah. Norton when he's really. Donnie is really good. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is, to me, consistently the best actor since he was 12 years old. Like, since Growing Pains. Since Growing Pains. <laughs> well, but since, um, uh, he Gilbert, basketball Gilbert, 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 Gilbert he's Greg, pretty amazing yeah. in Gilbert Gray. Gilbert yeah. Gray, Basketball Diaries. I mean, he's very young. From that point on, the guy has not had a performance that wasn't yeah. something special. You know, I always mm-hmm. I remember um you remember when uh, we all remember when Titanic was like the world's biggest movie and I always thought it was interesting that you could argue that it starred like two of the best actors of their generation cuz Kate Winslet's no slouch. Right. You know, sure. and DiCaprio and uh, and they could have put any two schmoes in that movie and it would have you know, made a billion but Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I think I think that's a good way to put it is that Brad Pitt may be our generation's greatest movie star mm-hmm. if not and that's you know that's not nothing. I mean, the there's so many. Of I like, movies I'm a I big. Brad, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. a big Brad Pitt fan. I like Brad Pitt a lot. Uh, I'll I'll watch just about anything Brad Pitt does. But Same I here. I don't necessarily think he's a great actor. I think he's incredibly engaging. Mm-hmm. You know, charming and you know, could Brad Pitt have done the scene in? Once upon a time in Hollywood, where he kind of breaks yeah. down while making that shit. I don't think well, he I mean, could. Maybe he could. Maybe if they, could. If, they, if they switch the roles, can yeah. DiCaprio play, um, you know, Pitt's character and vice versa? Yeah, yeah I, I don't. Think so. I don't. I don't think he could pull that up. Hi, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. You Dick? No. Dick no, he's not here right now. You live here? Yes, I do. Is sort of uh, roommates? Exactly, roommates. Yeah, well, maybe you can help me. I'm looking for a friend sure. of mine. Clarence Worley from Detroit. He's traveling with a real pretty girl named Alabama. Oh, yeah, man, I know him. They've been by here. 
You seen them? Mm-hmm. They staying here? No, they're staying at the Safari Motor Motel Inn. Safari Motel. Safari Motel? Yep. How do you know that? I mean, have you been over there? No. Well, they were here, and they said that they were going to go there. And they went. which I think is one of his best roles and I think it was just too shrouded in controversy but uh, Django uh, he's the, great in Django amazing in Django he's, I can't wait till we get to Django because I think that's a movie people don't talk about enough I uh, I have uh, to admit something you never seen it never seen it wow, oh, wow. I think that is... that's one of Sam Jackson's best oh, later yes. performances because I think Sam Jackson plays Sam Jackson in a lot of movies but he doesn't play him in Django yeah I, that's an interesting is, character it is the Tarantino type. movie I have not seen it's so. good playing against type on mm-hmm. that. Uh, and playing I think, a character that is kind of surprising the more you learn about him. Yes. And I think it's brilliant casting to put him after you've basically made him who the ultimate is, badass like the ultimate of. badass black guy. Exactly. Now you're going to make him the the house boy, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in this plantation. Brilliant casting. It's yeah. good. Yeah, it's, that'll be a fun one to talk I, about. I've talked about, well, not to get into it much, but I think Django's biggest flaw is just Jamie Foxx. Um, really? And it, yeah, I I think, and it's not really Jamie Foxx's fault. Uh, I think Jamie Foxx is a very, very talented actor. I do too. I, in that cast, he was very outmatched. Really? I have I to watch he, it again. And see I think he was going to do that and, and about... What a little while, nine months. <laughs> yeah. You could do more often. Um, but I, I, and I don't think he did a bad job at all. I just, I sort of look at, and I, Chris, we talked about this before. Is like, I imagine that movie now, if you could put like, um, uh, you know, uh, Chadwick, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Boseman. Yeah, that, unfortunately, you couldn't do that now. No, no I know, but I'm saying at the time, yeah. if Chadwick Boseman, didn't he want. If, is it originally uh, Will Smith and Will Smith didn't want to do it for some reason? Because I don't know, maybe I don't know. Yeah. I have to look it up. Yeah. You know, one movie I really like Jamie Foxx in is um, uh, Baby Driver. It's, yes, yeah, he's terrifying in that movie. Yes, he is. He is. Very scary. I like. What's the other movie he plays? He plays sort of a a gunman, like a, a oh, what is the movie? He's kind of an assassin, but he's just sort of like helping these other guys. God, I can't think of the movie. I'm gonna have to look it up. There's a movie where he he's kind of a criminal or whatever, but he's just sort of helping these idiots. Uh, but he plays just like this badass sort of like real street knowledgeable guy, and then these guys sort of. I, I think it's bad. Oh, 
uh, horrible bosses. That's what it, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it completely. No, it's not. A, it's not like a you know. Uh, you know the, it, the one with Jason Sudeikis. No, I, um, I, I like Jimmy Fox. I mean, I think he destroyed it in Ray. Like yeah. obviously, Ray was awesome. And he's really good in Collateral too, playing the he, the other guy. I think he's really good in everything he does. Quite honestly, I just think in this movie when you have Sam Jackson, Christoph Waltz, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio. And that's who you have to be the protagonist mm-hmm. against. Yeah. I just don't know if he was quite quite had I, it. Quite nailed it. You know what I mean? I think he was overshadowed a bit. And it's like, kind well, of, your, kind of, your, your name is on the yeah. fucking movie. Like you're the character. You're, you're Django. The <laughs> and I think, the unchained he did, guy. I think he did a good job. I just I I I think he was a bit overshadowed. And 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 I love the movie. I just we'll talk about it you know yeah, yeah. so so maybe you know bringing it back to true romance and you know what yeah. i had asked earlier about you know was was slater maybe too slater in this that's maybe an example of no he kind of had to be too to yeah he, be able to differentiate himself from this amazing cast you know he kind of had mm-hmm. to be you know yeah i mean i think well i, I yeah i don't know if christian slater i mean i think he's almost benefited from getting older in that sense in that, like, he can play roles now where he's not the coolest necessarily. I think you're right. Yeah. Guy, because at that time, it's like everybody was like, oh, this is the new Jack Nicholson. Exactly. Mostly yeah. because he, Heathers, he yeah. did Jack the whole movie. Yeah. He was yeah. Jack Nicholson. And he did a great job of it. Yeah. But, and I think, but you know, he was just good looking and slick and cool. And he was that, he's that guy. And he's very, mm-hmm. you know, serious, but he also has an edge to him. You know, he's a little dangerous. So he got a little bit of a, you know, a dangerous edge to him, that kind of thing as well. But now, like, you can see him. He He's he's actually kind of widened his his ability or widened his goals. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, Did you guys watch Mr. Robot? I didn't. I heard good things, but I never watched it. Very good. And and Slater is very good in it. Um, it's worth it, it's worth the, uh, the the watch if you uh, especially the first season. I enjoyed uh, immensely. So it's and Remy Malik is great in it. It's it's very it's a very smart TV show. And I remember first seeing Remy Malik in um, uh, the Pacific. Remember on HBO, and he was playing a soldier who was kind of like a little. Mm. Mm-hmm. He was good. He was scary, but charismatic. But it was like one of those performances you can see. Like we're gonna see more. Yeah, of this guy. Again. This guy will be back. So, all right. Well, do we have anything else that we would like to talk about in regards to true romance? I don't know. I think we I think we covered it, a lot of it. I feel a little bad. We're a little short of the runtime. Yeah, we didn't hit the. <laughs> we don't have to hit the runtime. It was a runtime of two hours and one minute because we're saving up for you know. Pulp Fiction is not going to be a short episode. No, 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 no. That we, we may even get to the point of doing these in, in two parts, breaking them down into two parts. Because um, there's going to be a lot to talk about with Pulp Fiction, which is, is that that is next on the list. Yes? Uh, yeah, I believe I think so. so. Yeah, well, okay. The other one would be Natural Book Killers, right? With it. I think that was... It came out after though, right? After, okay. I think you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. Because if I were, and I'm just thinking back, um, you know, like full on Tarantino uh, madness had had descended upon us, and I remember 
uh, natural born killers being promoted and marketed as written by written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Oliver Stone. So Tarantino was definitely a mm-hmm. name guy at the at that point. Which he uh, sued them to uh, take his name it. off. Take his name up, but and how, he, how very Alan Moore of him. They, <laughs> the original writer. It ended up. <laughs> it ended up being this crazy thing where, like, he he sued them. I think he lost the the, the lawsuit or something, mm-hmm. and so they didn't actually take the, his name off. I don't think so. He then went on every talk show and constantly bad mouthed the movie. <laughs> Finally, they agreed to pay him. I want to say a half a million dollars to shut to up. Stop talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that's that amazing. That's out. you know you have made it in Hollywood whenever people pay you money to not say something. <laughs> to shut up. Stop <laughs> What's your favorite other than this? What would your favorite Tony Scott film be? Mm, I, I'm immediately going to say uh, Days of Thunder, but I'm going to have to look at the uh, the. The filmography. I gotta look up the film. I like Days of Thunder. Uh, He's made a lot like of good his brother uh, good, more. A lot of good movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a bigger fan of the Ridley, but uh Yeah, well, for, I know. But let's see. Um this is let's see. Oh, he did the hunger. I remember watching that in college with that was I I like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> young Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve was What's not to top that not to like? Oh, you know what? I might have to. Well, I, I might go with either Crimson Tide or oh, Last yeah. Boy Scout. Last Boy. Oh, I forgot he did the Last Boy Scout. Yep. That's... So, I'm glad you mentioned the Last Boy Scout. That's one of my favorite Tony Scott films for sure. It's one of my favorite action movies from that era that I think is grossly underrated. I think the Last Boy Scout stands up there with. Lethal Weapon with Die Hard. I, I love The Last Boy Scout. I, I, I love that movie. But um, Tony Scott uh, did that movie with the producer Joel Silver. And he said it, between Joel Silver and um, Bruce Willis, it was one of the worst experiences really? of their life. Lee Donowitz, is... Who, <laughs> who is the producer in True Romance is based on Joel Silver. Joel Silver yes. According to oh, Hollywood. That's <laughs> amazing. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, Beverly Hills Cop juicy. 2, Days of Thunder, yeah, Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide, The Fan. The Fan was very good. Robert De Niro, yeah. Yeah, I like The Fan. Uh Enemy of the State. I remember um, seeing that. I saw that with my wife on like some winter day and you know it's a big crazy lot of action movie and I looked over and she was Comfortably sleeping. Right nice. <laughs> <laughs> what now? Wasn't any of Enemy of the State kind of a uh, a pseudo sequel to, to conversation. conversation? Sort of, yeah. I mean, it's a completely different movie, but yeah, you could argue that Gene Hackman's Gene character is Harry Call from uh, yeah. Conversation. Oh, dude, oh no! Here's my yeah, absolutely. Man on Fire. I forgot he did Man on Fire. Man on Fire. That is my favorite, my favorite Tony Scott movie, my favorite Denzel Washington movie. Wow. Very nice. Yeah. I love it, I love that one as well. Yeah. Is that is, is Dakota Fanning in that movie? Is she the is she the, the She might be the kid. Is I she, think she's I think she's yeah, the I think kid. You're right. I think she is the kid. All right, there's your Tarantino 
Payan. There you so go. Dakota fan. That's right. She was. Uh, she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, she's squeaky. There you go. Love it. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I honestly, yeah, I, I, man, it's hard for me to pick between Man on Fire and The Last Boy Scout, uh, and Days of Thunder. I fucking love Days of Thunder, <laughs> and it's mostly because of um, what's his name, uh, the older, uh, gosh, I can never remember his name. No, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, yeah, yes, sure. mostly because of Robert Duvall is just so amazing in that movie. Um, oh, I'm just because you guys already picked the, the uh, Man on Fire and, and Last Boy Scout. I'm going to pick uh, Days of Thunder as my my top. There you go. Um, yeah, boy, he was through romance. I love through romance. That guy, he was busy. I mean, that he the was Scott. Busy. I mean, think about the Scott family and how influential they are on like modern pop culture and movies and TV. It's, it's amazing. The influence well, that they've had. I mean, visually between the two of them, you know, in different ways, like Ridley Scott visually sci-fi would not be what it is without, without Ridley Scott's yeah. right. Runner and alien and alien. alien. I mean, those are the two like pillars of right. Yeah. Well, but if like you look, sci-fi for adults, kind of, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at Tony Scott's films, like action films, the way, I mean, you look at something, you know, like he did that wasn't even a great movie, but a movie like Domino, and visually, how much other films have taken from that. I mean, you look at like a movie like a very critically acclaimed film that isn't necessarily even a action film, but something like Driver. The driver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That movie, you could look at that and see direct parallels to things that are done. Or you mentioned Baby Driver. I mean, that could be a Tony Scott film. For sure. Oh, for sure. So when you watch, yeah. and if you watch uh, like Hot Fuzz, like the characters yeah, talk about how much they love movies like Tony Scott movies. Yeah, I think I think yeah. Between the two of them, my God, the 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 visual effects and just the style mm-hmm. that they influenced people other directors other movies other tv shows it's yeah is there another uh, other than maybe the wachowski brothers just because the matrix was probably you know but one of the most influential ridley scott's still movie. making movies he's got yeah, that movie yeah, coming yeah. out about the one of the fashion designers coming out like for christmas you know he's, yeah that blade came out 40 years ago he did i mean promethean is like an epic yeah. Sci-fi. I mean, I know it's kind of you know. Or even I love that movie, The Martian, which is a big, yeah. it's Huge it's movie. a big, entertaining. It's no, it's not a dark movie, but right. God right. damn, it looks great. I mean, Ridley Scott, even in a movie where he's done that much of a script or something, it's gonna look gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I was telling, I was telling Chris, I don't know what I was watching. It was like, um, the Hollywood Reporter does. Every year before the Oscars, they do a roundtable of like the best director mm-hmm. who's who's nominated. And this year was the it was the it was uh, well, I guess it would have been last year. So it was um, Quentin Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Who else was on it? Soderbergh, maybe. Um, it was the 20, 2020 dude, Oscars. It would have been twenty. 20- uh, Maybe, 19 maybe maybe 2019 and it's just those guys talking about movies and just like 
the personalities and the and the way they talk about films and the way that it's just like really fascinating. Oh, I but, love that stuff. Yeah, it's just great stuff. But to have Tony uh, Ridley Scott and Tarantino, Scorsese, Scorsese was it Scorsese, no? Bong Joon Ho, Todd Phillips, Quentin Tarantino, um, and Ridley Scott. No, uh, I, I believe a, I think that's a different one. Yeah, something like that. I think it's a, I think it's one before that that I was, but oh, that okay. one sounds great too. But but you have um, Tarantino and and Ridley Scott, and at one point Tarantino geeks out on Ridley Scott being like, "You're making more Aliens movies, right? Like you're gonna make." You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you did Blade Runner again. He's like, "I love the fucking Blade Runner 2040." You know what I mean? He yeah. just he turns into a fan all over again. He's yeah. like, "Oh, yeah. this." Biggest one of the biggest directors in the history of Hollywood, and yet he's still they're all fans stuff. of you know, they're all fans. Yeah. yeah, they're all super fans, you know. It's that's pretty cool. And and that was one of the cool things about that particular roundtable is like they were they were all talking about different films that other people had made, and like they would talk about how like I would watch this one scene from this movie, I've watched it 70 times. You know, it's like really you've sat and watched somebody else's scene 70 times, and it wasn't like necessarily a classic film or anything it was like something more recent it's just like that scene just got me and i just i watched it over the pacing and timing of it and it's just like wow that's that's incredible like i love i love watching that stuff and hearing those guys talk about oh, yeah. that stuff, the creation process of that but yeah but i don't reverse engineer that stuff and you know let's you know, yeah well let's continue to be influenced by, mm-hmm. by stuff, yeah, i mean you know? somebody like scorsese you know he's still he's like you know he supposedly has the biggest like movie collection in Right, and Quentin owns, you know, he owns a theater, and he's got yeah, yeah. tons of movies. <laughs> he owns two oh, theaters. Now. Did he buy another theater? Did he buy another one? I know he, he has bought another one. Um, I can't wait because he says that he's going to start a movie podcast. Oh, Ooh. yeah. I think I'm... he likes to talk though, Quentin. Can uh, somebody pull him out of his shell? Yeah, he's a little, you know, <laughs> introspective. I think so, he's yeah. gonna wait. I think he's gonna wait a while to do this tenth movie. That's why. Yeah, I'm in any hurry. He yeah. doesn't even have an idea for it yet, according to him. Yeah. That's so. why he's, you know, good. When he's ready, do it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, I love the. It's like every interview, people are like, "You're not really quitting, right? You can't. You can't really quit after ten movies. Come on, come on. You can't. You know, it's like everybody's like, oh, no. Bill Maher was like pleading with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, why? It would be like he's Stephen like, King, yeah. who claims like five different times he's quitting, and he has like a new novel off this week. And yeah, that guy yeah. can't stop right now. Come on, yeah, he won't stop. Well, can you live with it? What? I said, can you live with it? Live with what? That son of a bitch walking around beating the same air as you. Getting away with it every day. Are you haunted? Yeah. You want to get on the haunted? Oh, yeah. Well, I'd kill him. Shoot him in the face. Put him down like a dog. I can't believe what you're telling me. See, nothing I just saying about you. You do that? Fuck, don't deserve to live. Look, he just haunt me, you know. I mean, I do want to kill him, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail. Hey, man, I don't blame you. I thought I'd get away with it. Get away with it? Killing's the hard part. Getting away with it, that's easy. 
You think a cop gives a fuck about a pimp? Listen, every pimp in the world gets shot. Two in the back of the fucking head. Cops throw a party, man. As long as you're not at the scene of the crime, smoking gun in your hand, you get away with it. Clarence, I like you. I always have. Always will. He won't stop, but we will. Uh, this, uh, let's, let's, let's wrap this one up. Uh, we're going to be back next month, uh, maybe sooner. We'll see how the, how the schedule works. Uh, but we're going to uh, talk about one of my my top two favorite Tarantino movies. Um, Pulp Fiction is next up. Possibly his most influential movie, maybe. I mean, it's, I would, it's yeah, it's I think it's the one that I think, made it I think the household name. I think it's the one that's still, if you were to ask most fans or you know casual fans of Quentin Tarantino what movie they think of when they think of Quentin Tarantino, it's got to be Pulp Fiction. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just I think it's interesting because I think you have, you know, that movie was so big and so popular and everyone loved it and everyone went and saw it and it made him such a household name. But then he comes out with Jackie Brown, and it, and then he comes out with what did he come out after that? Was Kill that Bill? Kill Bill or Django? Okay. No, no, it was Kill, Kill Bill was before pre Django, I think. And I think people were sort of like confused, you know, like where was the Pulp Fiction guy? I think with definitely with Jackie Brown, people expected Pulp Fiction too. Yeah, and that's he said that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. Because Mm-hmm. One, I'm not going to live up to that expectation, so fuck it. I'm going to do a movie I want to do. Which is the is way that to the, do it. Is that the only movie that he has directed that he did not write? Mm-hmm. Well, he wrote the screen. You mean, yeah, it's adapted it's from based on Rum Rum Punch from yeah, yeah, Homer Leonard, right? Um, I don't think it is the only thing that he has. Uh, it may be the f- the only feature length film. He did the his segment in Four Rooms is based on a old Alfred Hitchcock episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, well, I'm sure yeah. we will get into all of that and more. <laughs> See, we even get Tarantino digressions within our current Tarantino I know, conversations. I know. <laughs> this podcast has just been Tarantino. <laughs> just, just wait when I start re-editing these out of order. So I, I'm I'm gonna throw us off because I just finished Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the uh, the audiobook, which was fantastic. Who and does that, he read it? No, uh, oh. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Oh. Well, that's good. And she's, and she's fantastic in it. But that fucking novel is is nonlinear, and the movie is is linear. I yeah, mean, there's fla- there's flashbacks in it, but they're clearly flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the nonlinear storytelling, but the fucking novel is, and it's. And I'm I still like, have oh. it. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. I it's great. I don't know that I would consider it nonlinear. It ends up completely. Can a novel be nonlinear? Like, huh? Yeah, well, I think you can't. But it's... I mean, traditionally, like, I don't consider it nonlinear. No, because they they do the whole Manson um, massacre thing is is like in the middle of the book, and it's like the the book ends. Um, on the last day of shooting of the Lancer pilot. Hmm. Uh, but we'll they don't. Of, 
What do you huh? mean? Do the Manson massacre? Um, th- they don't oh, even yeah. really get into it that much. He talks about it, you know, way before the end of the book, and kind of recounts what happened, and and talks about how that night really, you know, in some way helped restart his career. But then they go. It, it, the the end of the book is is really all about the uh, the Lancer pilot shoot, and it closes with him I and, and I just the, I don't even yeah. think about it as linear and nonlinear when I'm reading yeah. a novel, I guess because I, that's where like every like, you know when Pulp Fiction came out, people uh were like, oh my god, this isn't a linear storyline. This is not told. How do you? I don't understand it. I don't know how, how do you you know and. Yeah. and I just never understood how you didn't. Yeah, it was all pretty clear. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, you understand. Like the last scene is like the end of the movie is if you recut it is Bruce Willis on the riding on the motorcycle, right? You know, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, Yeah. we'll talk about that next month. We've (laughs) Tarantino this podcast again. (laughs) You've given me a reason to reread the book because I don't recall, like I don't recall it being non-linear. I'm sure it was. I just don't. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, as I was reading it, is is being non-linear. But um, now I'm going to have to read it again. Yeah, it was a great (laughs) listen. I I I highly suggest if you have a commute, uh, getting the uh, the audible version. One thing I want to know is, and we can think about this. Is uh oh no, I got the paperback version the yes, way I know you did. Read. Come on. The standard um, old fashioned paperback, yeah. <laughs> and I wrote in it, I put oh, nice. <laughs> I full, I didn't use a bookmark, I folded the fucking pages oh, yeah. over, I t- bent it, I threw it around. I think I spilled a beer on it. Quite would want, yes, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Um, All right, but I want to know are we gonna watch when we get to it the hateful aids? Oh, are we gonna watch the Netflix? Or are we gonna Netflix watch the Netflix version or the original theatrical release version, or both? I'm. I've seen the original a couple yeah, times, but too. I haven't watched the Netflix version. I'm watching the next Netflix version now. I'm into um, starting episode three. Because so it's what half, huh? eight episodes or something. It's eight four. episodes. It's four. Episodes? It's four like fifty minute episodes or whatever. And there's bonus stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a it's a neat way. It's a neat way to watch it. And okay, last, I'm starting to have a much greater appreciation for westerns because of all of the Tarantino stuff and Once Upon a Time and Django. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, he's obviously a huge western fan. All right, Sal, is there a way that anyone can contact the show if they want to? Give their Absolutely. feedback, or they can contact us at info at around comics. They can reach us at twitter.com slash around comics instagram.com slash around comics facebook.com slash around comics podcast you can join our kbilly super sounds letterbox.com page and follow us along and with the movies we're watching in in addition to uh the quentin tarantino films i'm also writing kind of writing reviews when i get a chance and and rating movies that are, uh, so each episode will have its own page on Letterbox, and nice. within those, I am putting other movies that I find to be influenced by or influences of mm-hmm. uh, for Tarantino of that movie. So, like True Romance has Badlands and Clyde, uh, Clyde, and there's a few other ones I think I threw in there. So that can maybe I'll throw in some Sunny Chiba in that there list. Of, wow, very nice. You know, Sunny um, Chiba triple feature. Yeah, well, and that's what that was. Street you know, Fighter, I, Sister Street Fighter, and uh, 
<laughs> if, if if we ever wanted to, like this podcast doesn't have to die after 12 films or whatever it is, because there's so many things we could watch in relation to it. You know, it's like we could watch the Sunny Chiba films and, you know, <laughs> definitely we could watch Badlands. We could watch mm-hmm. it and talk about any of that stuff. So if we ever if we ever want to do this more often, we, we have plenty of things we could we can add on. But anyway, yeah. you can yeah. contact us. Please send us emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know if you like the show. If you do, please share the show, like it, and subscribe. I'm already, pl- I'm already planning in about a year from now, whenever we get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to do a watch party. Oh, nice. There we go. I so can we'll do just, that. Yeah, we'll just do a watch party and, and then, you know, then jump into maybe a live a live Excellent. broadcast on it, which would be, which would be fun. Uh, so that's great. Uh, Will, do you have any out of theaters coming up anytime soon? Hopefully soon, but I honestly don't know. (laughs) This is, is, if you want to hear me talk about movies on and on and on, clearly this is a place to be. This is awesome. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) We love having you here. It's uh, it's fun. So, yeah, I'm super excited about next month. I I love Pulp Fiction so hard. It was like the perfect movie at the perfect time in my life to... To be like, yes, this is this is what movies should be, and uh, I can't wait to uh, watch it probably multiple times. And we get to jump back into talking about soundtracks, which I think Pulp Fiction redefined the modern movie soundtrack as well. So that'd be all, great. All works together, so it's going to be great. All right, so we'll be back. Uh, this is uh, what are we in August? So that's going to be uh, endish of September or so. So uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's how do we end this one? It's not the around comics end. We need like you know like oh, kind of like a shotgun we sound. We didn't do our uh, first first oh. cut last oh. rights. We didn't do first cut last right. Okay, so. set up the first cut last rights. What? All right, so first, we're going to end every episode with first cut last right. rights. Basically, what was your first thought when you first saw this movie, and compare that to now your last viewing of it and how those. If they've changed, what has changed about it? Let us. Let, Will you seem to have the biggest change? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I, think, I mean, uh, when I first saw it, I I loved it. I mean, it was you know it was so cool and violent, and um, plus it was a little more from that Reservoir Dogs guy that I like so much, you know. And I like you know incredible cast. Obviously, I think I think the two scenes I remember the most were the fight between James Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette, and the of course. Uh, the Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken confrontation. Um, this time when I watched it, like I said, I felt almost like uh, it was, it felt to me like a, a movie written by a, a young guy who was trying to cram in all the cool stuff that he loved. And, you know, his character was a really cool guy. Um, I didn't like it as much as I did the first time, but I will say this, Sal, you pointing out the whole Elvis thing made me kind of think there may be a little more going on than I'm giving it credit for. So maybe I need to reevaluate. Oh, wow. Man, I'm making a professional movie critic. (laughs) I'm not a professional movie critic anymore. An ex-professional movie critic. I'll go next, and then Sal can uh, can uh, can lead us out. Uh, whenever I saw it uh, at the time, I thought it was a an awesome uh, action movie with Christian Slater and this um, hot Patricia Arquette <laughs> gal. That's about what I remember. It just being a really fun, brutally violent action movie. Watching it this time, um, it's I was very conscious that this was a Tarantino 
script directed by someone else. It is, it is, it's Tarantino script. It's very much a Tony Scott movie and uh, still enjoyed it. But looking at it through, well, God, how many years now? It's, you know, like 30 years uh, almost since it came out. And just the legend that is now Tarantino as a director. Whenever I watch this, all I can think about is what would it have been like if Tarantino had directed this movie with the script? So that's that's kind of how I look at it now. It, uh, it's more questions than, than anything. Um, I was a... Uh... You know, 1993, I was 22 years old, sort of lost comic book nerd with dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to a triple feature, right? <laughs> yeah. I went to a triple feature watching. No, and, and I and yeah, I, I mean, Kim dropped I'd a, already, a like, thing of popcorn on you. Listen, I had already, uh, you know, Heather's was a movie where it was like, oh, that's that's right. me that's you know like that's the that's way more me than most actors i see in movies like i have dark thoughts i hate high school i think everyone's a phony and i might be a little psychotic i'm not sure we haven't determined yet <laughs> so i was already a big christian slater fan i was already you know a tarantino fan from reservoir dogs i didn't know who tony scott was um but i i this movie just you know, it had all the right parts for me. It was, you know, the Drexel part of, of Gary Oldman being this, you know, the, just the novel idea of like this white dude talking like he's black and he's a drug dealer and a pimp. Just that alone was such a weird thing for me to see in a movie because up until that point in time, I don't know that I ever saw anyone play a drug dealer or a pimp unless they were black. Uh, you know, it's so just the idea like, the, you know, this guy thinks he's black and 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 that whole weird thing um you know the the combination of the nerd who works in a comic book store who gets the sexy girlfriend and then goes out on a rampage of blood and coke and money and cars and you know what i mean like going out to la like that is 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 sort of fantasy fulfillment as you could get for a young brian salazar you know <laughs> in his ways um so this movie was it was just like yeah uh, everything i loved everything about it and then you then you add in you know the 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 funny moments of it with Bronson Pinchot and Brad Pitt and Dick Ritchie and and all these this cast of characters that I I just found interesting and intriguing and, and like different kinds of people sort of playing against type in in a lot of ways you know uh, for each of them in some way or another and and then this you know who's this James Gandolfini and then you know Christopher walking up to that point for me I, you know it's like I think I remembered him from Deer Hunter and and mm-hmm. um, you know way more intense you know violent movies way more like dramatically intense sort of films and so to see him play something that obviously is violent but you know it's Tarantino violence it's cartoon violence almost. Um, uh, and then with Dennis Hopper, Dennis Hopper, I knew from Blue Velvet, you know, <laughs> and, and and uh, what's the Fonda movie? Um, Easy Rider, Easy, Easy Rider, you know what I mean? Like, that's where I kind of I didn't really, he was not my generation of, of, of actors really, but I knew of him. And to see that scene is just like, what this is some of the greatest, like, you know, I, I didn't even understand the scene, like I say, I could understand it now, like, exactly, we sit here exactly. and say. Oh, Dennis Hopper's character knew he was going to die as soon as he, you know, but he was going to get his, you know, sort of revenge living in this guy's head for the rest of his life. 
I didn't understand that when I saw it. I knew it was fucking badass and cool, and I didn't know what I was so cool about it. Uh, and 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 same thing with the rest of the movie. I loved it on a very visual, visceral sort of you know, uh, fantasy fulfillment sort of way when I was younger. Watching it now, honestly, I don't. I think my appreciation for the film has probably grown because now I understand those other moments. I understand sort of what Christian Slater is doing and why I think he's so good in the film. I get, you know, why Gandolfini went on to have the career he has. I understand why Dennis Hopper and Christian Walker, uh, uh, Christopher Walker, are so amazing in that scene because they're su- such high-powered actors playing off each other giving each other different things to work with and just you know being amazing fucking actors um and so yeah i think at this point i think my appreciation for the film has probably grown i and and then the elvis stuff and understanding you know when i first saw that thing i was like i i've always been an elvis fan so that's another part of this movie like it 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 it's something that I related to for sure but i know i don't think i understood until i had seen it much later in life the idea of like Elvis is his delusion. Like Clarence is a fucked up human being. When I first saw this film, I don't, Clarence was the hero of the movie. And I never really questioned that. You get a cheer at the end when he lives. Yes. I wanted it. I I was fine with the idea that he lives. Um, You know, because he was a heroic character to me at that point, being in my early 20s. He was just badass. He was just cool. He was just, and he also, he was a comic book nerd and he drove a purple Cadillac and he dressed kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like that was all those things. I was just like, well, this guy seems like me. He's way more like me than Brad Pitt is, or he's way more like me than, you know, than Tom Cruise is. this, this fucking weirdo psychopath is, is, you know, uh, but so the, on that level, it was, it was very, you know, surface level that I enjoyed the film. Now I, I think I enjoy it more on, understanding the craft behind it and some of the great moments behind it as a film as a whole you know it's it's um it's flawed certainly it's not you know it's it's maybe a little immature uh you know and it's dated to some degree but i still see those like those four or five scenes in that film that are just terrific scenes just beautiful written acted and choreographed you know scenes of of Dennis Hopper and, and Walken, of Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette, uh, you know, and and Clarence. I, actually, I love the scene of the of the gangsters loading up all of the guns before like the final, <laughs> and it's like a goddamn armory in there, and you're like, you know, it's like, oh shit's getting ready to go down. That is a well, lot that, of guns. What a what a beautiful like precursor. It's like mm-hmm. you, you know, Clarence is sitting in there with his 38 special. And has no idea there's three different parties all heavily armed that are coming to kill him. Right. He has no clue what he's sitting in right now, the the the, the viper's nest that he's sitting in. No idea. And what a that's a very Hitchcockian mm-hmm. sort of thing of like, we know it. We know what the fuck is coming. He has no idea what he what, what's yeah. going. How how is he, you know that's yeah. that's suspense right there. That's that's some fucking powerful suspense. So that's what I mean. Like there's some really magical, wonderfully crafted scenes in this movie. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes their scenes are better than the, you know, parts are better than the whole. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about that with another movie, but um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I still love this movie. I, I I will probably watch this movie again in the next few years, five years. I'll probably watch it again, and that's how much I like it. So, Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, if you want more of me and Sal, uh, every week we release ACTV on the uh, the Patreon uh, stream for Around Comics. That's at patreon.com slash around comics. Uh, we're currently talking about titans and uh, marvel's what if and uh i'm trying to convince him that after that that uh, we should talk about what we do in the shadows season three but uh i think his reaction was i don't want to turn that show into a job i love that show so that's much. a good point i know i mean i don't know i i like then it's a schedule then it's like mm-hmm. i don't know I, i'll think about i mean i love that show don't get me wrong I, but i love it so much I, I don't know if I want to take the chance of fucking how much I, love I watched it. the uh, the episode the back to back episodes of Colin Robinson's promotion. Followed, Just watch rewatch that. That the the episode the the episode that follows that is the uh, Jackie Daytona episode, mm-hmm. which I think I've probably watched that that episode more than any other episode of TV. So funny in the last Great. several years. I've probably watched that single episode probably 15 times. Uh, to, uh, Patreon real quick. I just wanted to mention I just started a new Patreon. Well, it's the first episode's free. You don't have to be a patron member to listen to it, but um, the next ones are going to be on Patreon, and it's uh, uh, origin stories. I'm talking to comic book writers. Hopefully I can get Will on. I was going to say, I want to hear I, I want to hear about finals. Yeah. Was that I will. First, was that your first published comic book work? First one. That's yep. it. I want to hear the story about finals. Yeah. So I just did one with Tim Seeley. It, it actually went. Seeley. Yeah. No. <laughs> Seeley. Uh, it actually went well. I, it was it was interesting. You know, I've talked to Tim. We've talked to Tim. I don't know how many times. For years. Yeah. yeah. Tons and tons of times. We've talked to him about so many different things. And yet I found out things about Tim in that interview that I had no idea about. I didn't know that he had been an intern at Marvel. I didn't know you know, some of the things that led up to him writing in the first place. And, and, uh, and we kind of discovered the common theme uh, with Tim and how he writes about his own life in a lot of his books and, and how he sees himself. Sometimes uh, you can tell by the books that he's written over the years. So that was I really, where I really felt that in Suicide Squad King Shark. I, well, you laugh, <laughs> you laugh at that, but the, but listen to the podcast, okay. and I guarantee you that theme is in that book. And nice. awesome. and yeah, so so okay. uh, yeah, it was, it was. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was very fun. And well, and I I personally want to hear the uh the will pyfer origin story i would be honored to be part of it let me just get a few scheduling things but yeah yeah no rush man i'm I'm gonna try to do one a month i got uh i think i have al ewing is gonna be the next one he's uh he's agreed to come on and and bear his soul to me uh you know sort of mark maron's i'm trying to do like a mark maron-esque kind of uh you know yeah yeah, for comic book writers sort of thing just like excellent how did you get created? What is your origin story? What is your beginning? Yeah. So, so it's yeah. good. 
All right. That's it. All right. Well, guys, thanks a lot. Uh, listeners out there, check out the Patreon stuff. We enjoy doing that. Uh, we'll have a regular Around Comics episode uh, on this Tuesday, like we do every Tuesday, about 8 o'clock Central Standard Time. In the meantime. In between time. We'll be everywhere in and around K-Billy Superstowns. <laughs> that was the Partridge Family's Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted? Followed by Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. As K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on trucking. Mama